grab a Bible. Turn on a Bible, but get to the book of John. And while you're turning there, I have to correct the mistake I made during the announcements. I said that um, for our uh, get-together, our barbecue get-together, I said for you, you know, if anybody's vegetarians, we'd have baked beans, potato salad at least. We won't have baked beans for you either because that'll have bacon in it. <laughs> I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I told you it's going to be metasaurus, all right? I'm just sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, but hey, we're in the book of John. We are studying through the book of John, and uh, today we are in John chapter 1 for the last time. We've been parked here for quite a while, but um, as a kid, if you can remember back that far, um, every kid on, at recess at the playground or uh, sometime, they'll get a group of kids, five, six, seven, eight kids, however many, and they'll form a line, and they'll start playing this game called follow the fill-in-the-blank. Leader. Follow the leader, man. And um, everybody wants to be the leader. And, and so you have one kid out front and you've got seven, eight kids behind him. And the idea is wherever that, that little kid goes as leader, and the idea is what? Everybody else should follow him. If he turns left, the, the line goes left. If he goes right, the line goes right. And whatever that leader does, the idea is that his followers, their followers, are going to do what they are doing. Now, it's amazing, you know, we can play that game, follow the leader, and kids do it pretty well. But here's the thing. When we get into John chapter 1 here today, the whole, it, it, the whole thing, these, these verses 35 through 51 are about one word, follow. And it's about following one person, Jesus. And so, so what we're going to see here in, in verses 35 through 51 is Jesus is starting to start his, his hey, come follow me. Um, hey, you, hey, hey, you, follow me. And, and he's starting to start the, the whole process of getting people to follow him. And over the past 2,000 years since his ascension, um, it has been no different. The church started, and the idea is, is that when we become Christians... When we become part of this thing called the church, guess what? We become men, a follower, okay? And the idea is, just like kids who follow that leader, the idea is, is that we have a leader. His name is Jesus, and, and he is telling us some things to do and go. And, and the idea is what? Um, as a follower of Christ, what's the big idea? Follow Jesus, okay? It's not that hard. And, and so we, as, G, as, as Christians, we are to be followers of Christ. And so today, I want to look at six things about following Jesus. And so let's look at these six, thing, six things. Here's the first thing. When it comes to following Jesus, there is a decision. Right off the bat, the very first thing that has to take place when it comes to following Jesus is I have to decide to do that. And so starting there in verse 5, it says, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, this is actually the third day in, in what we have been looking at starting in verse 19. Um, in verse 19 through 28, was the first day of John's testimony about Jesus, okay? He was out in the wilderness, and he's proclaiming about, hey, here's the one who's coming. And, and if you recall in that message, this is when the, the religious leaders sent a, a, a tribe of people to go find out who John was. That was day one. Then last week, we looked at day two, which is in verses 29 through 34. And in day two was the first time where John, where Jesus comes on the scene. And as we saw last week, John makes a declaration. Behold, the Lamb of God that is coming to take away the sin of the world. That was day two. Now we are in day three because it says the next day again. So John, for three days in a row now, he's been going to the same spot because he's like, he's like a fisherman. Wow, I'm getting a lot of hits in this place. And like a good fisherman, you don't go to a new spot if you're getting a lot of hits, a lot of responses. And so he's like, I'm just going to go back to the same spot and I'm going to keep proclaiming the same message. I wish I could do that. Just get up here every Sunday Proclaim one message. 
Come back next week. What's Jim going to preach on? I don't know, but he's not pre- the same message. That's where John was. He just kept preaching. one, And now here he is two days in a row, and he's saying, look what he says. Behold the Lamb of God. Now notice, though, who was with him at this time. Two of his disciples. All right. Now, for you and me, when we hear that we are to be disciples of Christ, it's different for us today than it was in Jesus' time and with John the Baptist. When John the Baptist had disciples or Jesus had disciples, it wasn't like this kind of thing that was out there. They were actually hands-on disciples, all right? So John the Baptist actually had men who were with him, okay? And they followed John. Wherever John went, guess what they did? They went with him. And they learned from John. They listened to John. They watched John. John taught them. He was teaching them spiritual principles. He was teaching them spiritual truths. He was teaching them how to be his disciple. Okay? And that now Jesus is going to start doing that. He's going to make disciples and bring disciples to follow him. So John is third day into this preaching and he has two of his disciples with him and he's preaching the same message behold the lamb of god jesus comes back to the same spot and like the day before jesus comes and john declares behold the lamb of god now i'm not going to go real deep on this because i taught it last week so if you want to hear what i said last week go get 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 find the the podcast go on the the website listen to it i'm just going to give a quick recap so when he declares that jesus is the lamb of god what he is saying is like jesus shows up and he's he he just everybody around he's like this guy right here you see him he's the lamb of god and he's going to take away the sin of the world now When he said that, remember I said this last week, when he said that the people who John was talking to were Jews, Jewish people. So when he would have declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God, it would have been a moment where people would have been like, what? Everybody would have just stopped. And they would have been, there would have been some heads doing this. What? How can a man be a lamb? Because Jewish people understood what lambs were for. They understood that lambs were for sacrifices. They understood that a lamb every day, twice a day, was sacrificed by the priest. Priest would bring the lamb in the morning, sacrifice it. In the evening, sacrifice it. People brought their sins to the priest to be sacrificed for one reason. They kept thinking, well, we just keep bringing lambs. Our sin is going to be dealt with. But that was the problem. The people knew what lambs were for, but they didn't understand that the lambs couldn't do. The lambs could not remove their sin. And so Jewish people had an understanding about the lamb, but they didn't understand, have a real understanding about their sinful condition. They didn't understand that the blood of lambs and other animals can't remove sin. You see, that's what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11 tells us. It says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. You see, priests stand daily in the temple, sacrificing a lamb after a lamb after a lamb. And and the people are like, oh, I'm good to go. No, they weren't. The blood of an animal could never take away their sin. So the people didn't understand that they were still under the judgment of God. You see, this is why Jesus came. This is why God made that decision to send his only son to this earth. So Jesus, he becomes the final sacrifice, the final lamb of God. And that through his sacrifice, he's able to remove the sin of the world. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14 I love this verse. It says, but when Christ had offered for all time, how long? All time. A single sacrifice. How many sacrifices? A single, a one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God for by a single sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One sacrifice on the cross 
his blood shed, his body broken. And once he died on that cross, rose from the grave, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. What that means is when he sat down, you know what he's saying? It's finished. I'm all done, Father. There's no more need for any more sacrifices. And now, through Christ, I love that word, perfected. Man, spiritually speaking, before God right now, if you know Jesus Christ, guess what you are? Perfect. Sinless. Positionally before God. But here's the thing about the Lamb of God, about Jesus. There has to be a decision. You see, it's one thing to know facts about Jesus. It's one thing. There's a lot of people who know that Jesus died. Okay, how many of you know there's a lot of um, um, people who never enter church except for one Sunday? What's on one Sunday a lot of people go to church on? Easter. And there's a lot of people who keep hearing the message, hey, do you know Jesus died for you? Do you know Jesus died on the cross? Do you know Jesus took away the sin of the world? There's a lot of people alive in this world today who know that truth, but they haven't made a decision. Because if you now look at these two disciples there, so it says that John makes this declaration. It says in verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, we need to take a look at verse 35, though, again. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. The next day, again, he was standing with them. Remember, I said, the disciple, a disciple in Jesus' time and John the Baptist's time, different from us today. Those disciples were with John all the time. So here's this day, the third day, two of his disciples were with him. Question, were they with him on the second day? Yes, even though it doesn't say it. It says, the next day again, he was with two of his disciples. So these two guys were with him on the third day. These two guys were with him on the second day. And guess what? They were also with him on the first day. They were with John. So here in day two, like last week, the first time when Jesus shows up, John declares, behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Guess what the two disciples did not do that day? They didn't follow. They heard. They heard John declare that, but they didn't make a decision. But here on the third day, they hear John say it again. Behold, the Lamb of God. And something happens. These two disciples who had followed John for how long, we don't know. But in this instant, they heard that message again. Behold the Lamb of God. And guess what they did? They made a decision. John, we love you, buddy, but you're not the Lamb. He is. We're going to go follow him. And they make a decision to not just hear the facts again, but to follow Jesus, to become his disciples, to become his followers. And so guess what? The same goes for you and me today. There's a lot of people who know facts about Jesus. There's a lot of people who go to church on Christmas and Easter, and they know about the birth of Jesus. They know, they know about the death of Christ. They can tell you about the wise men. They can tell you about the shepherds. They can tell you about the manger. And they can tell you about Jesus in, in the garden. They can tell you about Jesus on the cross. And they can tell you about Jesus in the tomb. They can tell you all the facts. And some of you are there today. You can tell me all the facts about Jesus. But have you made a decision about Jesus? Have you made a decision to go from facts to follow? You see, you got to go from the head to the heart. All the facts, you can have all the head knowledge, but your heart can be unchanged. You got to go from facts to belief. You got to go from facts to faith. You got to go from facts of just knowing to facts to following. And that comes to the place where you personally have got to be like these men. You hear the message. And for some of you, you've heard this message your whole life. But you still haven't made a decision to follow. And so maybe for you, it's coming to that place where you're like, you know what? I'm going to trust this thing. I'm going to believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That he's the final sacrifice. There is no other sacrifice. And I'm going to place my faith in him. And I'm going to choose to follow him. Is that you today? Maybe that's you listening online. 
coming to the place where you make a decision. Because when it comes to following Christ, there's got to be a decision. Without a decision, you're not saved. Without a decision, you won't go to heaven. You've got to have a decision to place your faith in Christ. And that's when you become born again. And maybe today, you've got to make that decision. Here's the second thing when it comes to following Jesus. When, you can, when it comes to following Jesus, there is an examination. Not only is there a decision, but there is also an examination. So these, these two disciples hear John say this, and they begin to follow Jesus. Look at verse 38. It says, Jesus turned, and he saw them following him, and he said to them, What are you seeking? The NIV says, What do you want? Notice he says, What and not who. What do you want? What are you seeking? Not who are you, who are you wanting or who are you seeking? What do you want? How many of you know when Jesus asks a question to people or when God, like Adam and Eve, hey, Adam, where are you? He's not asking because he's like, I have no idea. He wants the person to respond. So when Jesus is asking these men, hey, what do you want? He's not going, well, I'm, I'm just curious. I have no idea. It, he wants them to ask themselves, why are we following this guy? Why do we want to be with this guy? Do we want, I mean, I mean, well, we want a leader that's going to rise up and, and, and start a rebellion and bring down the Roman Empire. That's who we're looking for. Well, we, we want more. We, John was great, but man, you're going to be greater. So that's going to give us more, more you know, exposure to the people. That's what we want. No, Jesus is wanting to know what's in your heart. Let me ask you, if Jesus showed up to you in person and he looked at you, hope, what do you want? He looked at you, Adam Sini, and he goes, Adam, what do you want? And he started asking each one of you this simple question. What do you want? And drops it. I mean, think about that. Open-ended question. No parameters, no boundaries, no nothing. What do you want? Close the book. Now, let me just pause. I'm going I'm to let that ferment a little bit in you. Okay? I'm going to let that, that thought marinate for a few moments. Because we've got to go back to these guys. So Jesus says to these guys, what do you want? And they say, ask him a question. Where are you staying? He says, come and see and I'll show you. Now when he, they ask him, where are you staying? They're not wondering, hey, are you staying at the Hilton? You staying at a B&B, Airbnb? Where are you at, dude? No, they're wanting to know, uh, Jesus, we want to be with you. We, we, want, we want intimate relationship with you. They're not looking at the peripheral stuff. They're looking at the spiritual stuff. They go right to the jugular. We want to be with you, man. Where are you going? Because you've got what we need. Nothing else does. And Jesus is like, come and see. Now back to us. That question hopefully is kind of marinated a little bit when i asked you if jesus were to ask you what do you want were you like oh my gosh we just let the genie out of the bottle i mean jesus is asking me what do i want so let me ask you did you begin to evaluate your finances well if jesus is going to ask me what i want i want more money in fact jesus just make me a millionaire did you start evaluating your health? Well, Jesus, if you're going to do anything, man, I, I want healing. I want my body completely whole and healthy always. Did you start evaluating your position in the community? Well, Jesus, I want to be more popular. I want to have more prestige and, and I want people to take notice of me. Maybe you started evaluating your relationships or maybe maybe you're single and you've been single for a long time and you're like Jesus I want to be married Jesus I, I want to be famous I want to be a star athlete Jesus I want 
what peripheral thing do we usually ask for? You see, if we're honest, I think that's where we go. I mean, think about the health and wealth gospel. I mean, so many preachers preach these two things, health and wealth. Hey, if you just have faith in Jesus, he'll give you health and wealth, peripheral, okay? And we preach it all the time. It's only about health and wealth, the peripheral stuff. Now, is it wrong to preach or to ask for peripheral stuff? No. It's not, a, it's not wrong to ask for health and for healing in the body. It's not wrong to ask God for finances. That's not wrong at all. But I think what happens is we get camped in those things. We get stuck in those things. And, and we, we only think, wow, if I just had the peripheral, everything else would be great. Well, here's the thing. How many of you know you can have all the peripheral and still be broken on the inside? Amen. Let me ask you again. What do you want? Jesus, I want to get out of my sin. I've been stuck in this thing. Jesus, I want to have victory over the shame and the guilt I feel all the time. Jesus, I want to stop hating myself. Jesus, I want the emptiness to be filled. Jesus, I want this anger that's just seizing me to subside. Those are a whole lot deeper questions, aren't they? Those are a whole lot deeper than, I just want more money. That's a whole lot more than, how many of you know spiritual health and, and the heart health is a whole lot more than physical health. You see, and Jesus tells these guys when there's like, here's what we want, Jesus. We want you. We want more of you. We need you. He's just like, come and see. He doesn't turn them away. He doesn't do anything. Come and see. And you know, I believe that's the same thing with you. And we're just like, God, here it is. And we just bring it all of our heaviness to him. I just... Come and see, man. I think God wants us to come and see what he can really do. There's got to be an examination where we examine what's going on in us. Here's the third thing. Third thing about following Jesus is this. There will be or there is an invitation. An invitation. There's a decision, an examination, a decision. Or I mean, um, an invitation. Look at verse 40. So these guys came to Jesus and they were talking with them. And in verse 40, it says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Notice the first thing he did. He found his brother, Simon. I read that this week, and I, that just kind of jumped off the page to me, even though I had, I've read that hundreds of times. See, sometimes I think we try, when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to telling people, hey, you need to be a witness, you need to share your faith, I think sometimes what we try to do is we try to take a square peg and cram it down a round circle. And what we want to do is we want to, create people and change people into something that they just aren't in. It's just not in them. And so what we do is we, we have classes in church about how to be an evangelist, how to be a witness. And what we do is we start telling people, man, we need to go to door to door, like cold call witnessing, or you need to go, st go, go street witnessing. And you got to talk to those strangers and you got to ask people you never met before in your life and ask them if they know Jesus. Can I tell you the majority of people don't have that in them. Let's just be honest. Most people don't have the courage to go up to a door who they do not know, ring the bell, and go, hey, do you know Jesus? Most people don't have that in them. Most people don't have it in them to go down a busy street and talk to people they have no idea who they are 
and ask them if they know Jesus or not. Most people don't have that in them. But yet what we do is we look at people like that and we, we, we have a class and they're not showing up for it and they're not going out street witnessing. They're not going door to door. Well, they're not very spiritual. And we create this, this environment that causes people to think, well, if I don't go door to door, if I don't go out and street witnessing, I must not care for lost people. Not even close. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, and he watched John, learned from John, saw John. Now, let me ask you, how, what was, when he watched John work, was John like this little private person, or was John making a fool of himself? John was out in the public saying things that were shocking people. Now, you would think being a disciple of John the Baptist, learning from John the Baptist, following John the Baptist, Andrew would have done what after he came to follow Jesus? He would have went out in public and would have started saying, Hey, here's Jesus. Do you know him? That's not what he does. The very first thing he does, he goes, finds his brother. Just finds his brother. He's like, yo, Simon. We found him. We found the Messiah. Come on. Let me introduce you. Found his brother. Maybe that's you. I'm not asking you to go door to door cold knocking. I'm not asking you to go stand on the street corner and get on a soapbox and just start shouting and talking to people. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Hey, do you have a family member that doesn't know Jesus? Wives or husbands, children, do you have a family member that doesn't know Christ? How about this? How about the simple, hey, would you like to come to church? How about an invite? Andrew invited uh, Simon, his brother, to come and meet Jesus. He didn't try to convince Peter. He's calling Simon because his name hasn't been changed yet. He didn't try to convince Simon, hey, you need to go. You need, you need this right now. He's like, hey, 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 come and see. And maybe that's what you just need to do with the family member. Man, I would love you to invite you to church. Just come and see. Just come and see. And then here's the other invitation. So, so Andrew finds Peter. Look at verse 43. It says the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. That word found, it means to come upon after searching or to find by inquiry. It wasn't like this is, that, that word found doesn't mean that Jesus was just walking and was just like bumped into Philip and oh, hey, dude, follow me. No, 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 no. He was like, where's Philip? Can you tell me where Philip's at? You guys know where Philip's at? Philip. Okay, yeah, 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 I know where that is. And he went and found Philip, a proactive search. He went after Philip, and he found him. And he's like, hey, Philip, follow me. You know what? Jesus is still going after people. You know, in, in Luke, the book of Luke chapter 19, it says that the Son of Man came to, 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 to seek and save the lost. Seek. You know what? Jesus is still offering invitations. And he offers the invitation to you. Hey, do you, if you don't know me, come follow me. I'll change your life. He's still seeking those who don't know him. And he's still asking. And he's still presenting an invitation. Hey, come follow me. Now look at verse 44. It says, Philip was from Bethsaida. The city of, of where Andrew and Peter lived, and he says, Philip found Nathaniel. We have found him who the Moses and the law have the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. He went and not Nathaniel wasn't a family member, but Nathaniel was simply a friend. Again, not a lot of fanfare, is there? They're going out finding people they know, not people who they don't. He finds Nathaniel. He's like, yo, bro. We found Jesus, man. We found the Messiah. He just finds a friend. You see, for you and I, this is where it comes into practical. You know what? Hey, if you don't have any family members, you're like, Jim, I've got my, all my family saved. Okay, how about this? Do you have friends? Coworkers? 
People that you're close to. I'm not asking you to go, well, I got a, the girl at the counter at the grocery store. I don't know her, but I'm checking out. Hey, do you know Jesus by any chance? It's awkward, isn't it? But you know what? Steve, who I've worked with for 10 years, I'm going to ask him, hey, would you like to come to church with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Barb. Who I, you know what? She and I have been friends since grade school, but I've never witnessed to her. Hey, Barb, you want to come to church by any chance? And I love what Nathaniel, you know, it, it, and it goes on, and, and he says, Nathaniel said, or, uh, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. Man, I, I'm just extending the invitation, dude. Just come and see. And sometimes isn't that what we just got to do with people? Just give an invitation. Hey, would you like to come to, to, to church? Just come and see. Just come and see. You see, there's an invitation when it comes to following Jesus. You know, the thing about the whole come and see, and I love what, about Philip is like this. He, Nathaniel had, had some issues, didn't he? He's like, he's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He had some, he's like, well, time out here, man. He's like, you're saying this Jesus of Nazareth is, and he had some issues with what, what, Nathan, what Philip was saying. He, he had some, a rebuttal. He's like, I hear you, but I don't agree with you. Do you ever have that problem? You try to witness to someone, and the moment you say something, somebody just like wants to rebut you. And they're like, ah, yeah, I've heard about that Jesus stuff, but you know what? And sometimes what happens is, and you know, Philip just went, dude, just come and see. He didn't sit there and go, well, you know what? I'm an excellent preacher. I'm going to debate you, man. And he didn't go into some prolonged argument. He just was like, come and see. And sometimes I think we get caught up in if someone argues with us about Jesus, we think it's up to us to save this person. What we want to do is we want to debate him. We, we want to come up, you know, prolong conversations about I got to convince the unconvinced. No, you don't. Because sometimes you're not going to convince the unconvinced. But you can simply say this, come and see. Just come and see. And let the argument be short and sweet. Just give an invitation. And then after the invitation, here's the other thing. The fourth thing about following Jesus, there will be transformation. There will be a transformation. Now we got to go back up to verse 42 for a second. So Andrew brings Jesus or brings his brother, to Jesus. And look at verse 42. It says, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John? Question mark. I love that. I wonder if Jesus just paused there for effect. So you're Simon, huh? The son of John. Okay. Sweet. But Simon, from now on, you're going to be called Cephas or Peter. Now, for you and me, we got to understand that a name meant something back then. For you and I, we call our kids anything. Applegate, that sounds great. Applegate Shannon, man, you know. But back in Jesus' time, a name meant something. So when Jesus sees Simon, and he's like, so you're Simon, huh? I'm going to call you Cephas, Peter, which means rock. Now here's the problem with this. He wasn't a rock. Because um, how many of you know Jesus, even though he had never met Peter, he knew Peter. He knew the character of Peter. He knew this dude's got some issues. And I'm pretty sure I sit and wonder in my head when, when he goes, oh, by the way, I'm going to call you Cephas or Peter, which means rock, if Andrew went, what? <laughs> that's not going to happen, man. I know this guy. And then he just goes off. I mean, you get him upset, man, I'm telling you, I better, I better cut your ear off. I'm glad you all got that one. Because if I would have heard crickets on that, I'm like, dudes, open up your Bible. Let's go back. Peter was far from being a rock. Jesus knew that. You see, this is what's great about a transformation. There's one about following Jesus. When you come to follow Jesus, he doesn't ask you to clean yourself up. 
He doesn't, he, he wasn't like, so your assignment, huh? Dude, you know what? You're so messed up. How about you go um, take some classes, go, go to synagogue for a while, get yourself cleaned up, and then come back and you and I will talk. He doesn't say that. He's like, Peter, you're a mess, or Simon, you're a mess, but I'm going to call you a rock. And that's the thing about the gospel is um, we don't have to clean ourselves up before we come. In all of our mess, in all of our sin, Jesus says, man, I've come to seek and save you. Just come to me. You just come to me in your mess, and we'll work on that. Peter, Andrew brought Peter in his mess, in his character, how he was, and he brings him to Jesus. And Jesus is like, you know what, Andrew, you're off now. I'm on. I'll change him. Because now he calls him the rock. And that wasn't because he was a rock. That's because of what he will become one day. You see, Jesus, once we come to Christ and we start to follow him, Jesus looks, he doesn't look at where you are. He looks at where you can become. He looks at, he sees us in our mess, but he's like, oh, I can get you way bar. I can get you past your mess if you let me. You see, and this is, I think, another mindset we got, we, we as Christians think sometimes is, man, um, once I get people to Christ, now it's our responsibility to get them changed. We think, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta shove them in a class. I gotta shove them in a group. I gotta shove them in this, and we start, and we gotta get people changed. You know what? How many of you know you and I aren't changing anybody? All we have to do is come and see. Let we 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 just gotta present people to Jesus and let and get out of the way and let Jesus take care of it. Because here's the thing: all we all have to do is, right now, I'm just letting the lion out of the cage. And how many of you know, if you let a lion out of the cage, it will find meat and devour it, okay? The word of God, when it's let out of the cage, it will do what it needs to do. And it will hit a heart, and it will change a heart. The word of God will call somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and it will, it will bring them to him. And then, after that, it's not my responsibility to try to clean you up, to try to change you. All I have to do is keep preaching the word to you. All I've got to do is encourage you to get to a group so you keep hearing the word. All I can do is encourage you to be in the word so you're studying the word. I've got to believe that the Holy Spirit will make the change. And you know what? If you know Jesus, probably all of you can sit there and go, man, I know I've been changed. And it wasn't because of a person. It was because the Holy Spirit working in me. Now, here's the third, third, third thing about Peter is this. The thing about transformation is, you know, you come to Christ in your mess. The Holy Spirit cleans you up. Um, but are you perfect in any way? Not even close. Peter came to Christ, was called a rock, but oh my gosh, how far he had to go. All right? I mean, I mean, anybody in here lop off an ear lately with a, a sword? Okay, or, or, or you took, anybody taken a gun out lately and shot somebody's ear off with it? Because you were just so angry? Amen. But that's what it happens. Is, is, is that we are still a mess. And Peter was like, I'm so angry. Swoosh. How many of you know he wasn't aiming for the ear? I'm thinking that dude was like, mm, and just got the ear. Peter was aiming right there. And then Peter was still so messed up. He's like, I would never betray you, Jesus. Never. Only to do it. And then even after Jesus dies and resurrects, and Peter is a pillar of the church, the apostle Paul shows up and is like, dude, you are a hypocrite. You, 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 you eat with Jews when none of your friends are around, but then when your friends show up, you're like, ah, Jews, I can't be around them. Or no, 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 I mean, you eat with non-Jewish people, but then when your Jewish friends show up, you mistreat these people. And Paul was so upset with Peter, he rebuked him. Peter was still a mess, not perfect. But oh, he was transforming. And the only way that happens is because God was working in his life. And Peter was transformed all the way to his death. We are the same way. You will never obtain perfection on this side of heaven in, in the natural. You're perfected spiritually before God right now, but practically every day 
God is shaping you and changing you and transforming you by the power of the Holy Spirit through the power of the word. There is a transformation that takes place. Here's the fifth thing. When it comes to following Jesus, there will be an alteration. So again, let's go back to Nathaniel and Philip. And Nathaniel, after Philip says, hey, we found Jesus of Nazareth, he says there in verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The town of Nazareth in Jesus' time was, was like, like, like um, the gutter. Nobody wanted to live in, from, live in Nazareth, and nobody wanted to come from Nazareth. Nazareth was a very small town, a very poor town, and, and, and it was like the armpit of Israel. Like, oh, I don't want to go to Nazareth. Nobody's... And, and Nathaniel, he, he was like, Philip, now, now, the Messiah is not coming out of Nazareth. Trust me on that one. Maybe Jerusalem, but not Nazareth. Philip's like, oh, yeah, he did. Because that's the way God works. God is like, no, 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 that's precisely where the Messiah is coming out of. This small, little, scrawny, poor, nobody wants to be around. Everybody's rejected except me. That's where the Messiah is coming out of. And he's going to change the world. See, I came up with this word alteration because um, I thought about that. And I thought about coming out of, can anything good come out of? And let me ask you this. Do you ever have the enemy just whisper things to you like, can anything literally good come out of you? Can anything good come out of your mess? Can anything good come out of your pain? Can anything good come out of your problems? Can anything good come out of who you are, what you've done? And, and we listen to that. And we think, no, no. Nothing good can come out of me. Man, I've just done too many things wrong. Man, I, I, I've just walked down the wrong road too long. I've done too many things. I've been hurt too many ways. I've got so much, I got, I got so much pain, too much of a mess. No, nothing good can come out of me. And that's the lie we listen to. And that's why you and I need to have an alteration in our thinking thinking about who God is and thinking about what God can do in me. Because here's the thing. God brought the Messiah of the world, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, who will take the sins away from the world, from Nazareth. He was born in a manger. Jesus, I mean, even the Bible tells us there was nothing about Jesus that made him adore. Where people didn't look at Jesus and like, wow, he, yeah, I could see him as the Savior. The Bible says there was nothing about him that caused man to be drawn to him. Nothing. There was nothing about Jesus that said, yes, this is the son of God. He comes from a pit and he was just normal. And that's the way God works. He's like, oh, I work, I work so good and normal. In fact, you know what? I even work better when I take the, the weak things and confound the strong. I take foolish things and I make the wise. What? You see, that's the way God works. And so the enemy wants to tell you nothing good can come out of you. By yourself, absolutely nothing good. But in Christ, it's a different story. And I think this is where we have to come, just as, as, Nathaniel, as Philip said, just come and see. Maybe this is where you're at today. You've got to finally come to that place where you just come. You come to Christ in all of your whatever it is. Finally, I mean, maybe it's just time to quit playing the game. You'd be allowed, well, Jim, I've prayed about it. I, 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 I you know, I've, I've talked, but you know what? No, no, I mean, where you just truly come and say, God, I am a mess. And God, please, and see what he will do. And you just pour out all of it. And God, you're like, God, I know in me there is, I just don't see anything good. But I believe, God, if you truly work in me and through me, you can bring good out of me. 
And that's what you and I need to be like. We need to be pressing into Jesus and having that alteration in our thinking and start thinking about, hey, this is how God sees me. This is how God views me. Man, my identity is in him and not in who I am, not in my possessions, not in my pain, not in my past, not in my problems. I am in Christ. And when I know I'm in Christ, I know he can change me. I know he can transform me. And I know he can bring good out of me. But you got to have that alteration that comes through the word of God. And then lastly, the last thing about following Jesus is there's a revelation. There's a revelation. Look at verse 47. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's interesting, a lot of commentaries and scholars believe that what, what, Philip, what Jesus saw Philip doing was under the fig tree was probably either meditating on or actually reading Genesis. Because of all the accounts, he says, in him there is no deceit. You see, that was Jacob, a man who was deceitful. And when Jesus says, I'm telling you, you'll see angels in the heavens open and, and angels ascending and descending, that's Jacob's ladder from Genesis. Jacob saw that in a dream. And it's almost like Jesus says, I saw you reading this and I know what you were thinking. And I'm telling you, dude, you're going to see some amazing stuff. But you notice he first says, there's a revealing of the heart. He's like, man, in you, there's no deceit. You're, you're, you're an honest dude. You're an honest guy, man. How many of you know when it comes to following Jesus, he'll bring a revelation about your heart? He's going to show you what's inside of all of us. See, that's where that transformation and alteration comes in because God's, God wants to deal what's on the inside first and foremost, not just what's on the outside. He wants to change the heart. He wants to change what's going on in the inside. Purify that, erect that, change that. There's going to be a revealing of the heart. But then also notice that, that Jesus says, I'm telling you, 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 you think it's amazing that I saw you under the fig tree? Trust me, Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than this. See, this is the other revealing that, that, that God reveals amazing things. Now, in, in these guys' day, they got to see the, 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 the supernatural. They saw healings and blind people see and dead people raise. They saw all that stuff. But, but when he says you're going to see more, even greater things, the greatest thing that someone you can ever see is someone come to know Christ. Someone who is, because how many of you know, you can die physically and a doctor can boom, boom you and your heart starts and you come back to life. And you're like, man, I've been given life, physical life. But if you don't know Christ, you're still spiritually dead and you will die again and be eternally lost. The greatest amazing thing you and I can ever see is someone come to that place and say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life and be my savior. That's the greatest thing you can ever experience as a believer is to see a friend, a coworker, a loved one, a family member that you are instrumental in seeing them come to know Jesus. Is there anything greater? And then the third thing he reveals, he's like, I'm telling you, Nathaniel, you're going to see heaven opened and the angels ascending and descending up and down. See, what that is revealing is actually Jesus is like, I'm telling you, I'm coming back and I'm going to open up the heavens and people across the world are going to see me come back. And during, I, I, I sit in, I think during the, the, the millennial reign that the, the angels will go. And here's the thing. Right now, we don't see the spiritual realm, but I'm telling you, when Jesus comes back and his kingdom is on, guess what? Your eyes are going to be open. We're going to see angels. We're going to see the spiritual open up. And I believe during the, 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 the thousand year reign that we are going to see angels going from earth to heaven, from heaven to earth, back and forth, from the throne of God that's in heaven to the throne of Christ on earth. And we're going to see this stuff. Our eyes are going to be open. And I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. Oh, he's coming back. 
And we just got to be ready for it and understand that there's a revelation that we haven't seen yet. There's a revelation that you and I haven't tapped into yet. There's a revelation that God hasn't shown us yet. And I'm telling you, one day, you and I are going to, if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you are a follower of Christ, you're going to have a revelation like never before. And when we're in his presence, the Bible says that you're going to know as you are fully known. There are things that are going to be revealed to you that you've been asking and wondering on this side of heaven for decades. And in a moment's time, you're going to know. And your eyes are going to be open to things that, wow, never ever would have, as, as Paul says, that your eyes have not seen. Your ears have not heard. Your mind has not conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. There's a great revelation coming. Why don't we all stand? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your amazing love for us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you came to seek and save the lost, that you have come after us. And you still extend the invitation, come follow me. Today, with your head bowed, if you don't know Jesus is your Savior, I'm telling you, he's still extending an invitation that says, come follow me. And after this service, if you don't know Jesus, I would love to just, just come and talk to me. Come and say, Jim, I, I, I don't know Jesus is my Savior. Help me to do that. Talk to me out in the foyer. I would love to just pray with you and just give you that hope of that assurance. Maybe for you today, you know Jesus, but man, you are dealing with the heart stuff. Maybe you need that alteration in your thinking about who you are and the things that are in you and knowing that good things can come out of you because of God. And so, Father, I just pray that you just would just work in our hearts, our lives, keep changing us and transforming us. God, we are a mess without you. And Lord, every day we still, oh, we stumble in so many ways, as James tells us, but we know in you there is hope. We know, Lord Jesus, in you, you will change us and transform us. And just like Peter, you will, you call us, you call us something different. You, you see us in different ways. And so, Father, we thank you. We just praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. This isn't part of the, the lyrics, but I just want you to sing this with me. The Lord just laid this on my heart. It's Pastor Jim. So lay this out. Can you just sing this?